Welcome to an all-new Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. I think it's time for Chasing the Word again. We're still in the book of Philemon. Welcome back to the microphone as we skedaddle across the United States of America this week. So here we are, almost to the end of our study. We talked about the element of slavery within this chapter, which is pretty evident, and also the element of kingdom identity and how those two things kind of go together and are very separate. We also talked about the economics of the situation as Paul being a prisoner and Onesimus being a slave and Philemon being a slave owner. So there's a whole lot of economic things going on in there. And God economics, too. How does he make the most of what we give to him? What does he do with it? Right, right. Those are the main things that we've talked about thus far in this. We've seen some other things kind of pop up as we've read through it. One thing that I wanted to highlight about this is Paul is drawing attention to Philemon's great love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that is a really important thing that we need to highlight because it really does set the tone for everything that's happening in the book of Philemon. We know that he is a deep, deep lover of Jesus. Because he has this group in his home, he is pouring of himself into others. Philemon may very well be a very generous and kind man, but there's something about the appeal that Paul's making, which is going to ask him to go the extra mile, to go someplace that he's just not required to go because he's the one to control. He Mm -hmm. is the master of the household. He has the power in the city. He's a recognized citizen of Rome, and Onesimus is not. Mm -hmm. Somehow, Paul is aspiring something much greater than what even he should expect, in my mind. Mm -hmm. He's expecting Philemon to respect Jesus in his office as apostle Mm -hmm. in a way that shows mutual respect. Mm -hmm. Paul is using language here to go to Philemon on to better behavior, Mm -hmm. to think outside the box a bit. Yeah. Well, I think that flows really well into the theme of this week's topic Mm -hmm. that we're going to be exploring, and that's mentorship. Because every lens we use brings something else into focus. Mm more of the whole story. We choose these angles because we do believe it does bring new light to something that we probably haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about. Mm -hmm. So this lens that we're going to focus on, mentorship, family, I just feel a hunger for that in this generation. Technology and opportunity, economics and culture has Mm -hmm. so bifurcated going different directions. It's not like we all listen to the same music anymore or watch the same TV shows or things. It's a very, very meta United States Mm -hmm. now for our own culture. Mm -hmm. And the world itself has become more integrated by knowing each other's culture and language and music more, but also very, very different. Diverging away from each other in profound ways. And we've seen that in politics and religion to the point of wars starting over those issues. Yeah. That's our generation. I feel the hunger for the kingdom, especially, to get back to the sense of identity that says, here is your family. Like Jesus saying to John about his mother, even while on the cross, he says, mother, here is your son, pointing to John with his nose because he can't even use his hands on the cross. And to John, the same thing. Behold your mother. Mm -hmm. He's establishing a relationship there that is going to be eternal in some ways. We need to be focused on that, too. Exactly. And that's a great example of how sometimes family is not defined by blood relation. I think it is, but sometimes it's formed by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, yeah. Paul talks a lot about family in the scriptures, in in the letters that he writes. We don't really know for sure about Paul's biological family. But he calls several young men his son in these different books that he's written. He calls different 
co-workers, his brothers, his sisters. So he is very focused on family as well. And that is a beautiful thing to see because we can also have that kind of relationship with those around us, co-working with us, the people that we are mentoring. We can use those same kind of images to bring about a closeness that gives a lot of credibility to what we're saying and what we're doing. It's not just a turn of phrase either. It's a very practical mm-hmm. assessment of your relationship too. Mm-hmm. You and I are sitting in the basement of dear friends of ours we haven't seen in years. Mm-hmm. And as we're traveling and you're working on your master's program in spiritual direction now, we have the privilege of traveling to go do that, to be with people that are helping you grow in your next phase of ministry that God's called you to. And it's brought us into the household of people that we haven't seen in a long time, mm-hmm. but we're getting to renew a relationship and then discovering just by being here how rich that relationship and friendship was. These are not just our friends. These are our family. Yeah. And to be a family in Christ, that's not just a turn of phrase or a thought. If Christ is really in us, they're truly family. We have literally been adopted into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. We are co-heirs with Christ of all that God has given us. Mm-hmm. And you and I have felt that so many times, sitting down with pastors and lay people in China or in Africa, Middle East. makes no difference. Right. Where Christ is present, you say... I'm at home. You just know you are. Mm-hmm. And we need to start treating that like a truth, not just a suggestion. Absolutely. It is who we are. It's our job to find out where do we fit in this family and mm-hmm. what is God calling us to do to serve this family. Yeah. What is it about Philemon, honey, that jumps out to you big about the issue of family and mentorship? I'm just seeing a lot of Paul's investment in Philemon, mm-hmm. even. And you can tell that they have spent time together. Just the way Paul is writing to Philemon, the way he is addressing him, calling him a dear brother, you bring me joy and encouragement. But he's also using these teaching moments, these situations that they're found in. I mean, this is a big deal that Paul is in prison and Onesimus is there with him in prison. So these are not just very simple, easygoing life situations. This is a big deal talking about a runaway slave or a slave that is not where he's supposed to be, whether you think he's a runaway or not. However, Paul is taking an opportunity to affirm Philemon in his role as church leader, but he's also taking these opportunities to teach him. And he's saying, you know, I could, as this authority, insist that you do these things. I could not just request you do these things. I could insist because of the authority I have over you in our relationship. But I'm not going to do that. As a mentor, I'm going to ask God to give me an opportunity to really trust the Holy Spirit in you to do the right thing. Let's just reel back the uh, the tape here a couple years. Let's say that Paul first sat down with Philemon, and Philemon has come to a saving faith. He understands the grace of God through Jesus, and he's thrilled. Mm -hmm. And here is this man, this wise man from Jerusalem, come to teach him what this means. It's not just a small cult of strange people live off in the hinterlands of the empire. (laughs) Philemon is discovering the power of God for a free life in the middle of his position of power. He's discovered a whole new source of power Mm -hmm. and authority that's way beyond anything he ever imagined was possible. Mm -hmm. And here's this man, Paul, who has instructed him. He is his rabbi, his teacher, his leader, his mentor. Mm -hmm. They've got a tight relationship. There's got to be a a lot of respect for this wise man. Mm -hmm. This wise man goes off, and then, even though Paul probably said to him, it's likely I'll get put into prison for these things. It's now happened. The fortunes have flipped 
Paul, the influencer, the one that spoke the truth to power, is now sitting moldering in a cell somewhere or underground in a cave in a dungeon. Mm -hmm. And still he writes back to Philemon with joy and hope and love from that situation. And Philemon has got to see that when he reads the letter. All that good time we had together, Mm -hmm. what's come of that? Mm -hmm. And Paul says, it was good because it brought me Onesimus. The yeah. one you thought was lost forever has served me and has benefited us both because of it. Mm-hmm. It tells me that Paul is saying divine appointment after divine appointment has led to this. God knew. God placed these situations in order mm-hmm. and placed us in these situations so that he could do this miraculous thing. Mm-hmm. And Philemon, you're about to be part of another miracle. Right. That's what I hear the appeal sounding like. Yeah. So everything about this letter for me is Paul being the aspirational, loving, faithful, excited, exuberant person that he is from the depth of the dungeon, mm-hmm. speaking to the man who lives in posh privilege and comfort and reminding him of the thing they had together, which is even bigger than anything the world could offer. Mm-hmm. And this moment is going to be one of those things. This letter, this transaction of heart mm-hmm. across all those hundreds of miles mm-hmm. is going to change the world. Well, for sure, it's going to change the world. This letter in and of itself, as small as it is, it gives us a really deep dive into the culture of the time. Mm -hmm. There are some things that are happening within this culture that look kind of ugly. You know, the slave owner. And and, should. And the, the guys in prison and all of these things. Yeah, it should. But not only does it give us a deep dive into what the culture looks like, it gives us a deep dive into Paul's heart for every person that he comes in contact with. Now, I've read different commentaries over the years that Paul was probably really a gruff guy and he was <laughs> maybe this little bulldog personality or whatever. Maybe so, maybe not, I don't know. But I see a really different Paul in this. I see a Paul of, I mm-hmm. love you, my brother Philemon. And I love that you are partnering with me in the work of the kingdom. I pray every day you know, I mention you and give thanks to God for you because of the way you love God and you love people. And I see Paul joining that gratefulness for Philemon and just expressing that to God. But then he turns the page and says, and here's my son, Onesimus. I am his spiritual father and I love him. I want you to love him the way I love him. And you can't own love. Exactly. I just see a a different kind of peeling back the skin of what just heart family is. Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I've moved around the country in our younger years several times, going from different churches, finding those heart friends, those deep heart connections wasn't always easy. Mm -hmm. But when we did, and still even over the years, those are family to us. We co-labored in the kingdom together. We did life together as many small group leaders talk about. We were in the mix of things with each other. And that's what makes family such a big word, I think. In the process of that, leading small groups or having these in our homes, we became mentors to some of the people in the groups with us. We were a little further along on our journey than them. And they're serving in all kinds of ways now. And now we see how God is raising them up to be mentors to other people. And I think the book of Philemon is a beautiful picture of that. You know, in the international version here, there's a turn of phrase that is a little off. Hmm. Because it says in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of 
Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. We talked about economy and about station in life and how fortunes can reverse, and Paul is identifying with being in a state of complete abjection to freedom. Mm-hmm. He's given it all up, or it's been torn away from him. But either way, he's in a situation where his destiny and his destination is not his own choosing He anymore. has no control over it. None. But when he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I think to myself, wait a minute. Rome is the one that's got him in a cell. Yeah. But Paul doesn't see it that way. He's saying, I'm a captive of Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. He captured me. I'm one I'm won over. Mm. Or like in a romance, I've been wooed. Mm-hmm. I can't escape this relationship. Yeah. I am his. So when he talks about being a prisoner, the context that means the most to Paul is that I'm in a relationship with the one who owns me. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. We have a very special giving opportunity for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. And I beg of you, send your best gift today to support the Christian family there. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. I'm in a relationship with the one who owns me. Yeah. Mm. He's already saying this is how it really works. On the eternal level, the one that came to liberate us has captured us at the same time. It's an oxymoron. It's a paradox. Mm -hmm. Yet the one who liberates us, we can't escape that kind of love. We've experienced it. He's setting the stage for all this mm-hmm. in very few words. It's poetry. Yeah. So when he says, here's my brother, my brother is, by implication, also a captive of Christ Jesus. You, my dear friend and fellow worker, are also a captive of Christ Jesus. We've all been embroiled in this great adventure. Yeah. We are part of this. He's showing a kind of family that is almost a conquered family. Think of all the stuff that God had to conquer on our behalf to Mm -hmm. be able to make us family. Not just his creation that he loved, but the ones who will inherit the the entire kingdom. Yeah. We are going to be inheritors with Christ Jesus of it all. He also talks in verse 6 about a union with Christ. Oh, yeah. I think about a marriage. I think about our union as a married couple and how in the process of solidifying that union in taking our vows in front of witnesses Mm -hmm. and how we had those around us that loved us, loved our families, loved each other. It was a group of people that we trusted so much. I think about that with our union with Christ. We've made a vow to Christ as well. We have joined ourselves with him. We have all of these people around us, this family around us that is witnessing 
blessing this and is part of this celebration of the yeah. union and every blessing and encouragement that comes along with that. That's another layer of what family looks like. Yeah. The ones perfunctorily involved in the procedure of getting <laughs> married, but are the ones that we literally ask, will you stand with them mm -hmm. and help them mm -hmm. and help their children? Will you watch over them? Will you be their accountability and their bulldogs? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. When you go to a wedding and the pastor asks you, will you stand for this? Is there anybody who has any reason to say no to this? Speak up now because in about two minutes, it's going to be too late. They'll have committed before God, and you will have, by your silence, said yes to this. Mm -hmm. Or by your affirmation of yes, said yes to this. Either way, unless you speak up, you are saying yes. Mm -hmm. So we invite people close to us that we expect God to be saying his kind of yes through them to us, affirming what he's doing in us, mm -hmm. and to challenge us to stay on the path, mm -hmm. to be our true friends. Mm -hmm. They say blood is thicker than water. The idea being that there's something about the blood, whether it's the blood of the family you're born into or the blood of Jesus shed for us, something binds us in a way that just doesn't happen by people just crossing in an alley somewhere. Mm -hmm. To think that we're in the kingdom of God now, anybody could be our brother or sister. Mm. It could be that person in the alley we just walked by. Right. Sometimes God says, look around you because I have people you don't even know of right near you. Mm -hmm. And he makes a home for you. He gives you a safe place to go. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that literally happen in places where you've gone. We had no idea where we were going to sleep that night. Mm -hmm. And God literally sends one of his family to us to say, come to my house tonight. Yeah. I think another aspect of family in looking at this is thinking about a father and his children. Mm -hmm. Paul has every right because of his authority over Philemon to demand of him that he release Onesimus, or that he welcome him back without punishment. But he appeals to him in love. Yep. As a parent, that struck me profoundly because mm -hmm. oftentimes I want to say, because I said so, do this. Or, you know, if you don't behave this way, there's a consequence for that. Or, you know, all of those things that we say as parents oftentimes to our children. How much more eager are our children to agree with us, mm -hmm. to obey us, for mm -hmm. lack of a better term? If we approach them in love rather than authority, I do believe there are times that we have to approach an authority and we have to, you know, quick, don't run in the road or whatever kind of thing. But so often, I'm guilty of this myself, so often we approach with authority before thinking of love in that sense. The way I was raised, authority was love. That's how they showed love. But I can remember times when my mom or my dad would approach me in love when I knew I was in trouble, when I knew that I hadn't done the right thing, or I knew that I should do the right thing. And I thought they're going to make me do this, even if I don't want to do it. Instead, approached me in love yeah. and said, what would it look like if you did it this way? Or how would it be if you knew that I want you to do this and you do it because you know that I love you and you know that it's the right thing? How different that might have looked for me growing up yeah. or for our children. Early on in our family life, we had young children. We were taught about the, the stages of parenthood, that mm -hmm. there's the stage of power mm -hmm. where everything is literally by physical coercion. Toddlers in their place, in their bucket seats and strapped in mm -hmm. the car in their beds, all those kind of things that literally have to yield to our superior strength and ability. Mm -hmm. Then we go into the age of authority where we make the rules and there are consequences for the rules being broken. 
and somewhere along the line, it eventually goes to influence. And if it doesn't ever cross into the age of influence, then there's been a misguidance in the Some progression of there. maturity. Mm-hmm. That the parent themselves has not matured enough to get beyond their own power trip. And the children have not been able to climb out of the pit of being held under the powerful sway of another. Mm-hmm. Neither of them have really grown up. But that if we go through it well, that we will have had and exercise our power wisely and gently. And then our authority with wisdom and with discernment, with kindness and love. And then the age of influence, because we've exemplified real love all along, Mm -hmm. our influence will be strong because it will be respected. Mm -hmm. That they'll see that we have their best interest at heart. Like we have to grow up in God the same way. I see that happening in Paul with Philemon, with Onesimus. There's a sense where Philemon, in some ways, was a son of Paul. A brand new spiritual son who had his own family. That kind of makes Paul a grandfather to Onesimus. Yeah. In the spiritual sense. And what he's trying to do, I think, is establish that chain. Mm. He says to Philemon, Onesimus has been here taking care of business like you would have if you were here. He's been a son to me like you have been a son to me. Mm -hmm. Like you would be being a son to me if you were here. He's doing the work and it honors you. It reminds me that you are my son. Mm -hmm. So Paul is putting himself almost in the grandparent role now. Mm -hmm. I think subtly suggesting to Philemon that Philemon can see this as an opportunity to step into a role of love and influence and get beyond just the power and authority of owning a slave. Right. I see it coming. Mm-hmm. It's not all in this letter, but you can hear the <laughs> you can hear the tune being sung in the background a bit. Mm-hmm. Something is going to transform in the whole life of that household and in that whole home church. Mm-hmm. The idea of the economics and power and authority and the law even. Eventually, over hundreds and thousands of years, the law has changed. Yeah and reflected the heart of what Paul is saying in this moment, that that truth, that eternal truth, that God sets us free, and the bondage we have to Christ is not one that's ever broken free from to our benefit, but also is completely free to run away from if we choose to. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have shackles on us. We are just so wrapped up in his love. Who would want that love to let go? And Paul is trying to confer that same kind of passion into Philemon. So Philemon can do the same thing for a young man who's very scared about being sent back to him. Yeah. Paul can't force these things to happen, but he has great faith that God can in the heart of Philemon. Mm-hmm. And can give Onesimus, his spiritual grandson, <laughs> the courage to go back and stand before Philemon as another brother in Christ. Yeah. How often do we empower people that are not our blood children to say, I believe in you. I see Christ in you. Do we tell them that? Do we ask for their stories and celebrate the God things we see in their lives? Do we hear them? Do we hear the kids that our kids bring home with them? You and I have had plenty. Plenty. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this program have had the same situation where your kids just kept bringing people home and you were the safe place to be and therefore you knew everybody else's kids. Mm-hmm. Other folks never had that and never experienced the intimacy of someone else believing in who wasn't just in their immediate family. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I pray that would come for them. But even if it never did, hear Paul talk about what it's like to step into a role because God makes you able to step into that role. Mm-hmm. Not because it's so natural before Christ, but in Christ it's absolutely natural to say, I can trust people. I can invest in them. Mm-hmm. I can see restoration. I can see resurrection happen in relationships. I can see a new thing mm-hmm. and be able to give people around us the courage to believe too. I like that. You know, I think that Paul gives us hope that family is so much bigger than we think it is. That those who come from families of origin that were not 
safe spaces, mm. that were not happy families. There's redemption for that. Yeah. God has a family for you, for each of us. He has a place. That's a beautiful thing. That's the beauty of community. That's the beauty of the family, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Mm. There is a space there as your family. Mm. Opening yourself to the gift of mentorship is another way that God welcomes us in, that God loves on us, just his extravagant love for us, that he would place people in our lives that walk alongside us to bring us closer to him. Yeah. The reality of the scripture that says God sets the lonely in families, mm, yeah, finds its fruit, yes. real fruit, in the family of God now, mm-hmm. which is the kingdom. But that scripture comes from Psalm 68, 6. Mm-hmm. Jesus showed the way for the reality of this for anybody who was outcast. But even back before there was Jesus present on the scene, this truth came alive in the heart of the psalmist, probably David, who was able to say, this is what God does. Mm -hmm. He places the lonely in families. And what family is going to be the best for us? The one that is fathered by the true father. That has Mm -hmm. leadership and mentorship of the big brother, the true brother. The one who shows us the way to walk, who is our hero. Our prayer is that God opens your heart to those around you that can become family for you and puts you in a place of family and security and safety. We thank you for joining us today and for walking through the book of Philemon with us. We'll have more of Philemon to wrap up the study next week, and we'll see you again tomorrow on the next Compassion Radio. We're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.